0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Inside the Department. This week we're opening the doors to the NCAA Compliance Office to get the real insight about the latest news and trends in college sports. Everybody wants to talk about it, so this week we're going to have a Division I Compliance Officer joining us to get the actual real scoop regarding name, image, and likeness, conference realignment, and of course, the transfer portal. Our guest today is a former colleague of mine, Hunter Waldron. He currently serves as Compliance Coordinator at Middle Tennessee State. But before we get to that, let's take a second and go over what's dominating the news right now with conference changes left and right, teams coming in, teams going out. So earlier this month, there were 24 conference changes effective July 1st. Now that's not everybody in FBS football. You had Division 2 members going up to Division 1, such as Lindenwood, Southern Indiana, joining Ohio Valley. You also had non-football schools entirely, Little Rock or UT Arlington, leaving the Sun Belt and going to either the OVC or the Western Athletic Conference. Already now, 11 months from next July 1, which is when the academic calendars flip every year, there's already 16 conference changes ready to go. And that does not include the Oklahoma and Texas news, which is at the moment set for 2025, although most expectations are that it's going to be moved up. And that's also not including the USC-UCLA news that just broke because that's still slated for 2024. So 11 months out, you've got 16, not counting the major four that's really creating massive ripple effect. So why right now do we see this? Obviously, money is what's driving everything. But for one thing right now, a lot of contracts and deals are getting put into place. And as deadlines approach, more people get more desperate for what they can get. And it just kind of speeds the process up. So we're going to go through the major football conferences first because they're the ones that kind of drive everything else and everybody has to react to what they do. So last year, Texas and Oklahoma announced their move to the SEC, which was really a preemptive move. The SEC already, back in 2020, signed their future media rights deal. They currently have their largest deal with CBS. They are moving away from that, and they're going to be with Disney, which is, as we know, ESPN and ABC. That deal goes into effect in 2024. It's for 10 years, $3 billion, so around $300 million annually. Now, they've been bringing in between 40 to $50 million annually per team, that's expected to go way up. And consider all that was signed and put into place two years ago prior to the Texas and Oklahoma news. So with two more years to go, almost two years before that goes into effect, you could certainly see that get rearranged. So there's two things that you have to kind of consider. The media rights deal is what nationally gets more exposure. There's also a thing called the grant of rights. The grant of rights is the schools themselves granting the rights of their performances, their games, whatever they're doing that people want to broadcast, they have the right to that. They grant it to their conference. Now that conference, with all those grant of rights from their member institutions, can go to media outlets and say, look, we're guaranteed to broadcast for these schools. And if you have a really impressive lineup of those schools, such as the SEC and now turning into the Big Ten, that obviously drives up a bigger market. Those deals do not line up simultaneously. Now some of them right now do, such as the Pac-12. The Pac-12's media rights deal that it currently has expires in 2024. The grant of rights to those schools expires in 2024. Now the grant of rights in itself does not really carry monetary value, but it puts value on your school Because that is what creates your value towards the conference that you have. And I'm trying to lay it out before I go into what everybody has. So the move that took place earlier this month with USC and UCLA lines up with the fact that in 2024, they can move somewhere else and they can sign a new grant of rights because their current one expires with the Pac-12. So they can go into the Big Ten and they can tell the Big Ten, We will grant you the rights to all of our broadcasts. The Big Ten, knowing that with those two schools, can then make their next media rights deal and say, look, we are going to have the right to broadcast USC and UCLA games, which obviously takes that LA market. So why was that pressed just now? The Big Ten media rights deal expires next year, 2023. Fox is estimated to pay Upwards to more than $1 billion. It could only be driven up more because NBC is wanting to get into it. And Apple is actually trying to get into the live sports game, picking up some kind of media rights deal somewhere. So the Big Ten wants to know now who they're going to have the rights to broadcast so that when they're negotiating with Fox and whoever else, they can say, this is who we have. So let's look at some of the other people. Now, we've already mentioned the SEC's media rights deal has already been signed, their next one has already been signed, going into effect in 2024, and it's for 10 years. Why is the date set when it was announced last year for Texas and Oklahoma to come in 2025? The Big 12, not their media rights deal, but the Big 12's grant of rights deals, where those schools have granted their rights to the conference, expires in 2025. So even though they made their announcement last year in 2021 that they were going to SEC, And the SEC the year before that in 2020 had already put their future media rights deal in place. There's no real push to get them there until 2025 because that's when the SEC could then secure those grant of rights for those two schools. So what conference have we not mentioned? The ACC. The ACC is what's really odd compared to these media rights and grant of rights lining up. The ACC's grant of rights, originally signed in 2013 by the Presidents and then redone again in 2016, extended it for 20 years. Current ACC schools are locked into their grant of rights with the ACC until 2036. That could actually be what keeps the ACC alive when its footprint is literally sandwiched between the Big Ten and the SEC. Sure, you could grab a Miami, a Virginia Tech, North Carolina, someone in that range, or you could go out west and get an Oregon or an Arizona State or even a Colorado State. You could do it for a lot less than trying to get around the ACC's deal. So that's just in a nutshell of why right now seems so crazy with the timing now that's kind of looking at things from the high finance executive level let's get back on the ground floor of things let's get on the campus level go in and talk about compliance a little bit so now for this week's guest segment here from middle tennessee state hunter waldron All right. So guest number two on the show, we've got from Middle Tennessee, Hunter Waldron, compliance specialist out there. Hunter, what's up?
1: How much, man? It's a great time to be in sports, I guess. <laughs>
0: Never a dull moment,
1: right? Never a dull moment.
0: So speaking of which, you were out in a happening place with some movers and shakers in Las Vegas last week yeah. at NACTA, National Association of College Athletic Directors. I know a lot of my colleagues were out there as well for COSIDA with uh, sports information directors. So, how was all that? What was what was going down out there in Vegas?
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different organizations that are involved with athletics. COSIDA, like you mentioned, N4A, which is academics, and then NAC, which is the compliance association. So, you know, I, it's a big thing on networking. But you like in the NAC world, we we also discuss a lot of the stuff that's going on in Sibley with. You know, name, image, likeness, how to handle it on campus, kind of share ideas, go through uh, ways to handle football and the crazy world of recruiting and transfer portal, and um, just kind of, you know, discuss how each institution handles certain things. Whereas we also have a thing called regional rules, which is usually an indie almost every other year, and that's more directed by the NCAA, and they talk about more of the legislation and, and what's actually getting passed. You know, kind of the cool thing about Vegas, you're talking more institutional. Okay, how do we um, navigate this as institutions?
0: Good deal. Well, yeah, I mean, let's jump right into it. NIL now is uh, officially a year and some odd days old as far as being an official legislation move for the NCAA. From today where you stand as to last July, how have you seen it kind of progress from day one open season to today?
1: I mean, yeah, literally it was a, a year last Friday, um, you know, and it's, I think it's still young. It's still navigating. I mean, NCAA still hasn't really set, you know, the, the standard or what we should be doing. So everybody's still just kind of coming up with their own way of doing it. You, you know, halfway through, you started seeing these things called collectives. And I think not everybody even has a full grasp on that. I think, the baseline is where student athletes are strike were, you know, striking up these deals of, you know, I'll advertise whatever your business is and I'll get some T-shirts or some gear or maybe a little bit of money. I mean, I saw I remember seeing uh, Addy being the first uh, barstool athlete.
0: Your inbox in July has never blown up like it does a couple hours after El Presidente announces his first. Barstool athlete. Yeah, uh, no, I, I can, I can, only I can imagine on your end. I can, yeah, <laughs> obviously, everybody was at the time navigating it on a first time basis. I, you know, what do we even do? Um, and I think a lot of those questions still exist today. But no, that exactly. was, that was certainly a. Well, I don't even know how to handle this kind of thing. You know.
1: Yeah. What What can we say? What can we do? And I mean, the thing is, right now, it is only a year old. and and as much as you might think you know the university of alabama has a grasp on it or or whatever nobody has a grasp on it in one year right i mean, I mean because the, yeah
0: no nobody's made their career yet doing yeah. this because it's only been here for 12 months
1: yeah exactly nobody's a professional on it there's still a lot to navigate there's still some governance to be coming from whether it's from the state legislator or like i mean our state law didn't implement till later, it was in January, and they've already changed it since then, where now um, athletic department staff can get in the conversations of navigating it, whereas there's still a lot of states where athletic department staff can't have anything to do with it. I think it's going to be an ever-changing environment as we, you know, see what where the limits are um right now i think there's no limits but i think eventually people are going to get um sick of throwing around money and not seeing the results and uh you know figure out okay maybe that was unreasonable to give this amount of money for this but um you know it's it's definitely an interesting time
0: right You briefly brought up collectives and we see them coming up everywhere. I know Mm -hmm. Tennessee and your area is one of the bigger ones. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the Power Fives probably have them. I know Florida has one and Miami has some that have been going back and forth in the news. How does the NCAA, like when they reach out to you guys in the compliance offices across the country, what is it like? How do they, I guess, approach it? Or how do they word it to you guys?
1: I mean, I don't think I've really gotten their perception on it yet. I mean, I know they've, they've contacted schools like Miami and BYU who have been at the forefront of a lot of this. They've been more innovative and progressive as far as what they're doing with collectives and how they're doing name image and likeness. I mean, I think at first it was like, hey, make sure, you know, it's not involved with the recruitment of student athletes. That's kind of been the main thing is like you, these kids can't sign deals Like I'm gonna sign with FedEx, and then I'm gonna come to the University of Memphis. That's kind of been the long, the the (laughs) the one bold line that they've like set. Yeah, outside that, nobody's
0: crossed that line, have they? Yeah, I mean,
1: are they getting the deal because it's name, image, and likeness, or is it pay for play? And I think those collectives draw a fine line, but. You know, as we you know go on to year two, I think we'll know more what we can do and not do. I think everybody's just kind of like, "Hey, let's push the limit. Let's see, you know, what we can do." And then we're not going to get right. Like NCAA has kind of said, you're not going to get penalized because we haven't really set the penalty or whatever. But we are going to need your help in navigating it, and you have to know whether are you paying for play or are you paying for their name, image, and likeness.
0: Well, I want to get to some transfer portal stuff. I know that's probably one of your biggest day-to-day things. But mm-hmm. before that, I want to kind of circle back because you've already mentioned some of the rules in your state. So you're at Middle Tennessee now, there yep. in Murfreesboro. Let's kind of go back, growing up a little bit. You've mm-hmm. you've hit all over the uh, eastern part of the U.S., I guess. Um, yep. Southeast. I know. I know ori-
1: area. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know originally a Michigan man. Yep. So let's just kind of take it from uh, schooling at an early age and then into college, former
1: college athlete,
0: one of the 98% that went pro in something other than sports.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, yeah, I was born in Michigan, but moved to North Carolina in high school. And then uh, that, I was an athlete. So, I mean, that's kind of how I started getting in this world. Uh, not highly scouted, but I, I had opportunities at the D2, D3 level, couple walk-on opportunities D1. I ended up deciding going D2 and uh, went to Livingstone College. It was a small D2 in North Carolina. Ran track for a year. Um, kind of decided uh, I wanted to focus more on academics. Transferred to University of North Carolina, Greensboro. It's crazy because I never really thought about athletic administration. I was actually like wanting to be a doctor or something. Just go in the medical route. You know, they don't really they don't really tell you about a lot of careers. It's like doctor, lawyer, teacher.
0: Compliance specialist wasn't in the doctor's
1: book. Yeah. Compliance was not one of them and not that it would be the most attractive one anyways, (laughs) but uh, you know, I, uh, you know, ended up majoring, switching from biology and nursing, and then uh, got into kinesiology sports medicine and everybody was in occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, athletic training. And I just, I saw internship opportunity and student development at North Carolina Greensboro. The guy was trying to find like more like a grad assistant, um, but I interviewed, he was impressed by my ambition of wanting to work in college at sports. I've always been an advocate for college sports, love college sports compared to pro sports. Started in student development and it was like working with SAC and community service and helping launch their like SB Award type ceremony, and so that kind of introduced me to the world of college athletics. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna need a master's degree and get gain more experience to to uh, to get that job um, because athletic everybody wants to work in college athletics. Ended up going to Belmont University, which is in the OVC. Had or was? Trinity was in the OVC. Not they <laughs> officially started in the Missouri Valley. Valley bound now. Yeah, so. Um, Got an opportunity to do compliance, and it's kind of a weird world of like nobody seeks to go to compliance, but I kind of did. Uh, intern for them and for a year, and uh, started in January, and my last day was in December, and uh, got a job opportunity at Jacksonville State um, at a time where the assistant AD was about to be on maternity leave. So I, my first day, my first week was was pretty wild because. My boss is on maternity leave. I didn't know the systems of Jacksonville State. You know, that, I think that week we were in the national championship in football uh, going against North Dakota State. So, like, really <laughs> nobody was around. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. in this office. like. At least oh, there
0: wasn't anything important going on at the yeah, time. There was Yeah,
1: no, you know, the spring semester is starting. Football is at the national championship. And uh, I'm just trying to put out fires and, and make sure I don't burn the place down. For three months, I was running the office by myself, so it was kind of a baptism by fire with, I mean, only a year of internship experience from there, the smooth sailing. I mean, I I was able to really learn the business and worked there for three years and Uh, established myself pretty well and and then got the opportunity to come up to Middle Tennessee State and and kind of the number two man to the compliance department and kind of running the day-to-day office work.
0: I want to kind of ask you about that because I think it would be something interesting a lot of people don't well they probably don't think about but when they do think about they probably don't know. So how do you guys break up your work because Um, I know within the SID world you're more structured to your sports but I know different compliance offices will have either uh, an entity that they kind of specialize in yeah. or, a t- or a team that they just cover?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think there's three ways. Usually departments are structured from what I see. You either have a sport structured, so you're over each sport and all the bylaws for that sport, or you're bylaw specific and you do, say, playing and practice season or recruiting for all sports. And then there's even some that I would say are more like a hybrid. Like you might have some sports-specific duties, but then you also pick up certain bylaws. We are more uh, sports-specific here, but whereas Jacksonville State, even though it was two people, I would say we were more bylaw-specific. You know, every office is structured differently, but you just kind of navigate it and make sure you're, you're, you know, you're putting eligible athletes out on the field.
0: Just looking back at you guys, this past year, Blue Raiders did pretty well. You had – I mean, basketball went deep in – how would you call those? Other postseason tournaments? Yeah, other
1: po- – I would say other postseason tournaments. Not the NCAA tournament. Right. The CBI. I mean, you have the CBI and the NIT and stuff like that. And, yeah, they – I mean, the, you know, they, they got to the championship game and, I mean, really almost won it, which – I mean, in my time since I've been here, three years, two years were very off. They were kind of rebuilding after the the two years that they went to the NCAA tournament and made some upsets. We lost our head coach to Ole Miss and um, so kind of rebuilt. And, yeah, they, they had a great run this year. Women's basketball had a great run in the women's NIT. Uh, we had several track athletes at the national championship. Uh, one was we had a one that was a runner up and high jump. Men's tennis won uh, the conference championship for the third year in a row. Got a number one seed um, in in the men's tennis tournament. So a lot of success at Middle Tennessee, and, and a lot more to come.
0: Right. Football. How's the? You guys are doing some stadium stuff. Is that right? I know I was up there not long ago, and we kind of yep. saw saw some of the early steps to some construction stuff.
1: Yeah. So right now we're in the middle of the blue uh, Bill Blue project, which. Big part of that is building a whole new football building, um, and with that is like a new weight room, and it's right out on the ed- end of the stadium. Then they're also adding on to the basketball arena. So yeah, there's a lot of projects to happen to the facilities that hopefully spark some juice. And facilities are sometimes the driving of recruiting. So. Uh.
0: Hey guys, it's Daniel. Just reminding you that Inside the Department is available on Spotify and Apple Podcast, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And follow us on Twitter at Inside the D E P T. Now back to today's episode. Do you, do you get to travel? Any football's got some big games this year. You go to the U?
1: Is that right? Yeah, we go to the U this year. My first year here we went to the big house
0: did you make that big house trip
1: i i I, you know as a as a michigan man (laughs) i I shouldn't (laughs) say that as a as a proud mt staffer (laughs) yeah but um I went as a Middle Tennessee fan. Right. But I went. I went. Okay. I went. That's what
0: I, I figured. If you had a chance to be in that the stadium, if
1: I can be in the big house. I'm gonna go, and if it's cheering on the Blue Raiders, even better. So, and we and we had we had a great first quarter against them. I mean, Michigan was a pretty good team that year. We went, but it it was, it was a great experience. But yeah, I mean, this year we played James Madison, which you know they're always. They've been a solid program. They're about to move up to FBS here pretty soon. Going out to Colorado State, which that will be nice to be out in Fort Collins. University Colorado is
0: nice. I, I don't know if I'd like to live there in the winters, but very, very nice area very out there. Very nice
1: area for sure. And then we get into conference play after the, after the University of Miami, which we're playing a lot of teams that they're all leaving us. A lot of them are leaving us. So we're trying to, you know, make that last impact and give them that, L before they leave Conference USA, go to the American League.
0: We touched on it a little bit, and we don't make the headlines like Texas and Oklahoma or USC and UCLA. But yeah. obviously, no one is safe from conference realignment, and mm-hmm. our two institutions will soon uh, be part of that as well. You guys aren't really moving, but you're the yeah, conference you're in. We're
1: staying put, but we're definitely is apart. is
0: seeing a dramatic shift from one year to the next coming up. Mm-hmm. What's the mood or the feeling around it from your guys' side of it where you're at a university that you're not changing conferences, but your conference is changing dramatically?
1: I I think it's a lot easier to navigate it when your conference is changing, like, like us, like where we're staying put and we're seeing new people come in, it's a little bit easier than say, if we are to go someplace else, because if you go to another conference, you start navigating what, how does this conference navigate certain rules? So there's a lot more change in that. Whereas right now it's like, we, we have our footer. We know how Conference USA runs things. So now it's just bringing in the Jacksonville States, New Mexico States, all those schools. And showing them, all right, this is how things are done in Conference USA.
0: So in 12 months or a, about a week less than that, mm-hmm. Jacksonville State, Liberty, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston will go into Conference USA as a couple move out. Yeah. And then there's going to be the UTEP, your Louisiana Tech, Florida International, who are staying. Mm-hmm. And then there was a big deal when everything was moving around. MTSU and Western Kentucky were teeter-tottering for a little bit about staying, going, moving from a personal perspective, what's your feel? I mean, we've got nine now. I, I would think there's a good chance that you could have ten before you get to next July. Yeah. Look, how do you like that that lineup of teams for CUSA? I,
1: I mean, I think geography wise, it's it's better. I mean, Jacksonville State's right down the road, and you know, I think I think you guys are going to create a nice wave for us for football because what Jacksonville state fans not going to want to come up to Murfreesboro slash Nashville and hang out for the weekend. Right. You know, yeah. so I, th- I think that's going to be great Liberty uh, institution that has a lot going on for it. Money wise, they have some of the nicest facilities. I think that brings an interesting perspective of challenge to challenges to overcome and that everybody's going to want to try and keep up with them. New Mexico state gives UTEP finally like, a a match as far as travel partners because like nobody's UTEP's all the way out there practically in Mexico and you know they didn't have they have their match really they didn't have somebody when you're traveling to UTEP you're traveling to UTEP you you know the closest institution is like North Texas maybe or I guess UT San Antonio which is like pretty far away just
0: across Texas is not like just across some other state
1: right exactly because Texas is huge And then, I mean, the addition of Sam Houston State, been great in football recently. So it definitely brings a different perspective from the teams that we we had. I I would not be surprised if we had more, especially with now when you see UCLA and USC coming to the Big Ten. Well, does that mean like a conference USA is like, oh, let's get a a Hawaii or you know, no places too far do do we start looking anywhere to add somebody and and, and I think that's definitely has some potential.
0: Can you imagine that flight from LAX to Newark for nope practically half of your conference game i mean if you're going to rutgers maryland penn state anybody over there
1: your closest game is iowa right essentially so that's halfway across the, i mean that's a, that is a half, half the country flight. and then your furthest game yeah like you said is like a rutgers so for the footballs of the world like you're only doing that trip every so often but for the the volleyballs and the those sports it. That's going to be – it's going to be crazy. and I, They did it for a reason, and they, they have the money to do it. It's definitely going to be an interesting dynamic.
0: What's your view with how things are shifting right now? I mean, just dramatically. I think Texas and Oklahoma mm-hmm. didn't feel like it was as massive last year because, again, regionally, it's obviously a big step, and they were big brands, but you could see them – in the sec and it didn't feel like it tore up everything yeah now you come a year later and you've got the usc ucla news and now it looks like people are just trying to poach out of the pac 12 now down to 10 in the acc yeah. do you think we'll get to like two super conferences a, a big four kind of regional section or how do you see things going i mean i
1: think obviously the texas oklahoma thing started a ripple effect and you saw it quickly develop all the way down to the the level of FCS OVC. You see the OVC is a completely new conference. It started from just two teams deciding, oh, we're going to go here. So now this is going to be, you know, USC, UCLA is creating this like second bigger wave of ripple effect of maybe the discussion, the ongoing discussion of the power five separating entirely and having the power five out of the FBS kind of have this own entity and whether it's, a power four, you know, you disseminate either the Pac-12 or the Big 12, or is it a power two? It's going to be interesting. Do some teams fall off? Do you have like a Vanderbilt or an Iowa State have always struggled to keep up? Do they fall out of that category? I don't think anybody can predict what's going to happen because I don't think if you – when Texas and Oklahoma left to go to the SEC, I don't think anybody the next day was like, well, you know what? I bet USC and UCLA goes to Big Ten. <laughs> Nobody said nobody said that. No. Not even the AD said that. But if they did that say happened that
0: last week, I bet last month nobody would have said that.
1: Right, exactly. So um, definitely, definitely some interesting times. I don't I I don't think anybody has that feel on it. And it's all gonna transform as well with name image and likeness and stuff and with all these tv contract deals and you know what like the acc what's what's stopping the acc from wanting a school like houston or texas tech to start getting that texas market the same reason a couple of years ago, ACC started playing their mat, their conference tournament in, in the New York market because now you have the New York market. Why did the Big Ten ever get Rutgers to get the New York market to expand that market? So now the Big Ten has the New York market and they have the L.A. market, which are the two largest markets in in entertainment. It's hard to say where it's going to go, but it's going to keep, keep shifting for a while, I think.
0: But Let's circle back to kind of where we started. We were at NIL. And then I mentioned I wanted to bring up transfer portal because I can't bring someone in from compliance and not ask about it. So day to day, I'm just assuming you deal with it in some capacity almost every day.
1: Oh, yeah. The, the transfer portal is, is the way of the world now. Um, mm-hmm. it's hindered high school recruiting. The amount of evaluations I have to do on like four-year transcripts and stuff like that, and making sure a kids coming eligible from a transfer perspective is ten times to- tenfold compared to what it was before the transfer portal and and the one the one time transfer exception at that. Because once you o- opened up the one time transfer exception for basketball and football, um, that's when the transfer portal really mattered. Because I mean the transfer portal has been in play, what? four years now, five years. Right. So, um, I mean, it's pretty crazy because you're just seeing everybody transfer everywhere, but I mean, I have somebody coming in my office. I'm ready. I want to transfer. And just as much as, that's happening at the same time. I'm having a coach be like, "Hey, we got this transfer coming in. <laughs> Can <Yeah. laughs> you look at his transcript?" So yeah. it's it's a it's a wild world we're
0: in. I know it just feels like it's so much right now. News that you hear about NCAA stuff that has nothing to do with on field production. I feel like there's so much right now. Is yeah. it's just the fact that all right, transfer portal opened a couple years ago, like you mentioned. Yep. Then COVID hit. So then as we come out of that, you've got the new transfer portal that people are starting to be familiar with and how to use it to their benefit. Then most kids, or I guess everybody, just different academic years, get a full year of free play because like whether they played or didn't, it didn't count against them. Right. Then, all right, now you can make money on NIL. Mm -hmm. like one thing opened the door to the neck well now I've got a longer career I can play that that year didn't count I could leave instantly and it's not going to count and even if those two things by themselves existed maybe you're like well I'm set here I'm good here like I enjoy it here well now you got a chance to leave you can leave without penalty. And if you go to a certain place, you might be making money. So, I mean, it's like it almost draws people somewhere else.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It was was really an avalanche because transfer portal, when they first implemented it five years ago, there was a little bit of a hike of transfers because of the conversation that was being happened about, Oh, the transfer portal, Oh, the transfer portal. And so because the conversation's happening, when you hear transfer, 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 transfer all in the media, Well, then everybody's like, hmm, what happens if I transfer? I've looked at the numbers at our institution and kind of know from other institutions what they're doing, too. And really, the numbers were not that different from before the transfer portal and during the transfer portal. There was a little bit of a hike on that initial year, but I think that, again, that was the conversation but it leveled out. And then COVID right. happened, like you said, and you had this extension of eligibility. Kids are not having the opportunity to return or or whatever. Well, and that pushed like,
0: them away too, right? Because, uh, you know, if you're building a baseball team and you've got a senior first baseman, the coaching staff, they're recruiting. When this guy leaves, we're going to have this guy come in and be first base. 100%. Now, if that first baseman, he gets that year back, obviously, if he's really good, the team's going to be a- glad that he could stay yeah but the program may still be moving now he's got a competition battle you know maybe he didn't want that so you, you also overflooded rosters where guys didn't drop off and women in female sports didn't. didn't drop off that for years you could line up here's who i have for this just this, this this and this year possibly they red shirt somewhere along the lines mm-hmm. and then you knew where that cutoff was going to be and i've got to have somebody replace that at this point and now we're kind of in that mid second year of a two to three year transition where you just don't know year to year who's staying, well, who's going.
1: And, and the, the option, it's, it's the fact that it's an option too. like they're not we don't have to guarantee them that last year. So it's like if we're not going to guarantee it, well, the kid still probably wants to play. So they're going to take it elsewhere. Roster management is another level right now you have people transferring out you have you have these people getting extensions on their eligibility and then you have people transferring in <laughs> and yeah. it's just it's it's quite a wild world i think once covid's out of the picture that will help slow down some of it and once football and men's basketball and women's basketball get used to having one time transfer exception it'll level out Again, when you're, when, you're pipe, when you're having the conversation and the media keeps on hyping up the transfer portal, even though these kids have always had the opportunity to transfer. The
0: process beforehand, because as you mentioned, you could transfer, was essentially a unofficial transfer portal, right? Like they would go the whole permission of contact, right? which is where they wanted some changes because that started getting a little hairy about who was reaching out to people. When exactly. they shouldn't, but used to, you could walk in, correct me if I'm wrong, to a compliance right. and be like, would the player do it if he wanted to go somewhere yeah. else?
1: So, so the way permission to contact worked is, is not too different than the transfer portal. It was the kid would come in, Hey, I want to transfer. It's like, okay. But the thing is when we were, when permission to contact was in play, we were able to kind of be like, all right, we give you permission to contact, but you can't contact this institution, this institution, this institution which was usually like conference, conference folks, or who we were playing in the future years. So then once the transfer portal opened up, all the conferences instantly started being like, well, with the transfer portal opening up, you can't restrict, they can go wherever they want and just kind of give the kids more autonomy of where they want to go. And also it was helpful because it's more open to like, okay, this kid is wanting to transfer. Whereas before, when a kid had permission to contact, institutions didn't know that your top quarterback wanted the transfer. Yeah, unless they had looking to go to
0: somewhere him. else. Yeah, right. I got you.
1: Now the fact that it's open to everybody, everybody knows when when your starting quarterback enters the portal, they see them pop up on the transfer portal. Now it's, it's, a, it's a market and it's a game.
0: So before I let you go, walk us through the current steps. You hear all the talking heads go over the portal, the portal, the portal. And yeah. I, th- I think some don't even really know what it is. A kid yeah. doesn't just say like, I'm in the, you know, right. the office, you can't just bankrupt. declare bankruptcy. They come to you yeah. and the process begins.
1: Yeah. It's not like I declare transfer portal. Some kids literally send me emails like that. It's up to the institution, how they want to scope it out. But essentially how we do it here, a kid, if he wants to enter a transfer portal, he fills out our, our transfer portal re- or transfer request form. So they've, officially requested that they want to enter the transfer portal at that moment we have two days to enter them in the transfer portal and we put them in it's pretty simple and every institution probably does it differently so it was some type of way to document all right when you enter the transfer portal, yeah this, this
0: kid wanted to do it so that you know you can come
1: back and be like you know they just threw my name in there Yeah, exactly. It it has to come from the kid. You kind of want type some type of written form, some place, something official that they're signing off of either their email or an actual form like we have where they're signing off on. I'm entering the transfer portal. This is why or I understand that because I'm entering the transfer portal, my scholarship will be taken away or whatever. And getting that officially signed off on before we actually enter them. And then also they just, the NCAA just uh, sent out this educational video, which now they have to complete on top of that. So with us, they'll come in, fill out the form. They also have to watch this educational video, which has a certificate at the end that they put their name and date on. They give us the, the form and that certificate. And at that point, once we get both documents, then we enter them in the transfer portal. But they have to get that education piece because a lot of these kids think Oh, I can transfer and have no penalty.
0: To me, it drives me crazy because when you listen to radio or TV, which is one of the issues in the first place, mm-hmm. is they always talk about, why wouldn't an entire team put themselves in the portal? Like, you know, just at least test the water. But in reality, you're signing away in cases, your scholarship. So yeah. it's not like, hey, I'm just going to put my name out there, see if somebody wants me. And if they don't, you know, I'll just hang out here.
1: Yeah. And it's, it goes back to the adage of, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Most ADs and most institutions are, are in the likes of, you know what, if you enter the transfer portal at that point, you're saying you don't want to be at our institution anymore. So we're going to, we have the right that we can pull your scholarship because you entered the transfer portal. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to have somebody that's half in saying, Oh, I'm just testing the waters. And then next thing they're gone. Because then again, again, Right now, one of the biggest problems in college sports is roster management, then we're having to replace you. Whereas if we know already, like you enter the transfer portal, we know you're not coming back because we, we, we just don't allow that, except for maybe in special situations, then we know we have to fill your spot.
0: Last thing before I let you go, coaches leave all the time, split second, they're gone. I don't think most people have any issue with the fact that kids have the right to leave. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the hesitation and angst comes from, When a kid three games into the season is like, nope, leaving and goes in the portal. And then like before the season's even open is repping gear from another place. in the compliance world. Are they moving towards an open period for putting your name in there, closing it? I mean, I know they have that now, but it's so wide because we, what baseball, baseball just ended, right? Like last week.
1: So so spring sport currently, what it is is spring sports have until July 1st to enter the portal Fall, uh, spring and winter fall sports only have till May 1st. That was something that they talked about in Vegas and and people discuss is like windows um, of entering because yeah, a football athlete shouldn't be able to just enter the transfer portal and leave his team behind with no penalty or whatever. And I think what people are going to have to understand is like, we're going to have to have more control about our coaches leaving first and be like okay well if we say coaches can't leave until this date then all right student athletes definitely can't leave till this date but as as long as coaches if coaches start leaving i mean you've had a lot of them leave before the bowl game this year right. so what what why if a coach can leave before a bowl game why can't a student athlete but i think they are probably going to develop windows because again roster management if a kid just enters the portal August 25th, right before your first game, or or September 10th before your second game, it, it puts you in a bad bind for sure.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, my man. Keeping up. We know you're all over that landscape and doing Yeoman's work. Yeah. You know,
1: as they say, living the dream.
0: We all are.